88% of the American population has a metabolic problem of one form or another. We don't have healthy diets, which is why America has 4% of the world's population, but 15% of the world's COVID deaths. And you have to go, what's that about? It's we're yeah. sick. As we're sick as a society, 72% of Americans are overweight, 72%. And we know being overweight significantly increases the mortality risk from COVID. So we need, don't be skinny, that's not a good thing, but we need to really be thinking about what we put in our body. Hi. I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. Okay, so Dr. Amen, last time you were on the show, we got such an incredible response, this conversation about how the brain works and brain health and how we can take care of ourselves. And now there's a new book, and the title is very intriguing to me, so I'd love to know what it's all about. Well, Americans are the unhappiest they have been since the Great Depression with the pandemic, the societal unrest, the political divide, going all the way back 50 years since they started measuring happiness in America, were at the bottom. When I thought about, you know, what would I write about that I could spend a year researching and writing and living with, um, was at the beginning of the pandemic and my dad had passed away. And I had to close my Manhattan clinic for a month because of COVID. I'm like, you know, I bet a lot of people are struggling with happiness. And if you can learn to be happy during an incredibly stressful time, it will serve you for the rest of your life. And I actually start with this idea that happiness is a moral obligation. It's actually an ethical issue. And I can guarantee you when I was growing up, that idea was nowhere to be found. But if you think about it, ask anybody who is raised by an unhappy parent or married to an unhappy spouse, whether or not happiness is an ethical issue. And I'm pretty sure they will say yes because of how we influence other people. And then I talk about the lies of happiness. And you've probably experienced some in your own life, like I need more of something, right? When you're 
an internationally best-selling author, uh, and both of us have been, it's like, well, the, the next one better be as good. And if it's not, you get unhappy because <laughs> there's a part of your brain called the nucleus accumbens that respond to the happiness chemicals like dopamine. And more and more, unfortunately, won't make you happy. That that's actually a lie. That you need to be happy with the journey rather than the outcome of the journey. So more is a lie. Don't worry, be happy is a complete lie. Those are the people who die early from accidents and preventable illnesses because they don't make good decisions. All of our decisions, if you want to be happy, you want to be happy now and later versus now, but not later. And vodka, for example, is now, <laughs> but not later. And brain health is now and later. Or, you know, the marketing messages of happiness, like open happiness is Coca-Cola's slogan. And open happiness is a lie. It's open illness. It's open diabetes. It's open obesity. It's open cancer. Um, you know, soft drinks have been associated with virtually every bad illness humans can have. Happy meals are, in fact, not happy meals. They're sad meals because they're pro-inflammatory. And they're not good for children. Or I need more money to be happy. And uh, there is a correlation with happiness and money up to about $75,000. And then there's no correlation at all. And so more sex, more money, more relationships, those are the lies of happiness. And then I thought, okay, there's been a thousand books written about happiness. What can I add? to the discussion, a whole bunch, because I actually look at people's brains. And so the, the core of the book is really around these seven neuroscience secrets of happiness that nobody's talking about. And secret number one is you need to gear your happiness strategies to your brain type. That, mm. not, that happiness is not the same for everyone. That and I talk about five primary types, balance, spontaneous, persistent, sensitive, and cautious. So the balance people, they have pretty healthy brains, and most anything will make them happy. The spontaneous people, they have sleepy frontal lobes. They need novelty. They need excitement. They, you know, if... You're married to a persistent person who really wants to have sex on Tuesday night and Sunday morning. And we always do Tuesday night and that'll just make you insane. Um, it's like, you know, we need to bury this and uh, this is not going to work for me. Spontaneous people probably love scary movies, would jump out of airplanes, love surprises. But those persistent people... Um, they hate surprises. They like ritual. They like routine. And if they pick a religion, they'll pick 
one with ritual. Like anyone who chooses to be Roman Catholic, say they, like I was born into being Roman Catholic, but if, if they'd like picked it, they're generally the persistent person because ritual is comforting mm-hmm. for them. Where for the spontaneous people, they're not picking being Lutheran or Catholic. Uh, right. They're going to be Pentecostal um, because they need unpredictability. Right, right. We need to speak in some tongues. We need to, yeah, dance around in the aisle. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes total sense and also is really interesting to think of it through the lens of being in partnership with someone or having children and having different types of brains. So like I'm thinking of I absolutely have a kid that loves routine, loves ritual, and I have a kid who loves spontaneity, who wants change and different, and they will rub each other the wrong way trying to create their own kind of happiness. Right. And if you just, if you understand it, that your partner's different for you, and if you have secret number six in your head, notice what you like about other people more than what you don't, right? If you want to be happy, you have to give happiness to others, um, is you'll understand their type and focus on what are the strategies that'll make my partner happy, because that is just critical. Two is if you really want to be happy, you have to have a healthy brain. And um, I know when I saw you, um, hoping you fell in love with your brain and you've been good to your brain. You just told me yeah. about a marathon you ran. Well, so I'll, you know what's, I, I've thought about this so much of our experience and getting to work with you and getting to become friends. And there are so many reasons that that happened, but interestingly enough, I think the biggest reason all of that happened was so that you could introduce me to Dr. Brush because she has fundamentally changed my life. Like I could just cry forever. Uh, Her helping me to balance my hormones, I'm like, I forgot who I was. Like I forgot what it felt like to be myself. And in the last four or five months, I'm like, oh, right. This is the joyful spirit. This is the optimistic person. This is the love. This is the peace. Like so much of that was out of whack. And I got so much out of you and I learned how to take better care of my brain and stop abusing caffeine and all of the stuff. But that learning to like um, how to get that in balance, I can't even, there's not enough thank yous in the world for that help. I'm so happy. That makes me feel so good because part of secret number two is get your brain right. And part of getting your brain right is getting your hormones right. Yes. Because if your hormones aren't right, you're miserable. And the people around you are miserable. Right. Right? And can I just say too, for people who are listening to this and maybe aren't as familiar with your work, I'm going to encourage you to go back and listen to our the past episode. But what is so dangerous about brain health or or having an unhealthy brain, I don't know how you would say it, is that you think it's normal. It's like you're in a fog of whatever you're going through for so long that it doesn't occur to you that you could feel better. And 
once you're through it or on the other side of it, or you start figuring out your supplements or, you know, all of the things, it's like someone turns a light on and you've been in a dark room. I, I, I just, I, it's, it, if you haven't ever experienced getting through or getting to the other side of it, I just want to encourage listeners to believe that that's possible because hearing someone talk about happiness when you're really struggling with feeling unhappy, you you think like, oh, this is just the way I am. This is how I'm wired or this is just how my people are. And it's just not true. It's not true that every day you're making your brain better and increasing your ability to be happy. Or every day you're making your brain worse. And and sometimes it has nothing to do with you. So in the brain health section, I have this mnemonic, Bright Minds. If you want to keep your brain healthy or rescue it, you have to prevent or treat the 11 major risk factors. And the N is neurohormones. So we talked about that. If testosterone, thyroid, estrogen, progesterone... Um, insulin are not right, you're not likely to be happy. The I in Bright Minds, the first one is inflammation. The second one is infections. Well, like 140 million Americans have had COVID and COVID changes your brain to make you unhappy. It activates the limbic or emotional structures in the brain, and all of a sudden you have brain fog, you're anxious, you're sad, you're irritable, and you have no idea it's the result of an infectious disease that we can calm down if we focus on brain health. And it's it's so interesting, Rachel, the scans I've seen. Are, are there ways to try, for people who are listening who had COVID, are there ways that they, are there things they can actively be doing to help combat that? You bet. And so one, it's an anti-inflammatory diet. Um, So I just had this great lunch uh, of all these vegetables and mushrooms and a little bit of chicken. And you want to be on an anti-inflammatory diet, a pro-inflammatory diet, think pizza or pasta or the standard American diet of burger and fries. Those things will increase inflammation and make you much worse. So think colorful fruits and vegetables. Actually, secret number four is only love foods that love you back. That, you know, both you and I have been in bad relationships and we're not doing it anymore. (laughs) But nobody thinks about the relationship you're in with food. And I only want to love food that loves me back. And yes, I'm very fond of Rocky Road ice cream, but it beats me up when I eat it. And so, no, I am too mature to love something that hurts me. And, you know, I want people really thinking about it because diet and happiness go hand in hand. Secret number three is supplement your happiness. So what I have found, so I got COVID, uh, New Year's Eve of all things from my chiropractor. And, you know, I've been saying since the beginning of the pandemic, your best defense 
against COVID is your immune system. And so my vitamin D levels started at 80. Every day I take a multiple vitamin and fish oil and something I make called neurogreens and smart mushrooms, just strengthening my immune system. But with all the scans I'd seen with COVID, I took extra quercetin and curcumins because they have anti-inflammatory effects. And, you know, and I'm, you know, I think I'm a little bit tireder at night, but other than that, I'm just fine. But, but it's very intentional. And anybody who gets COVID, they have a 20% increased risk of having a new psychiatric disorder within the first five months. And I think it's because of the changes in the brain, you know, and not to mention the isolation, the chronic stress, the political divide, all of that stuff contributes. But it's the physical functioning of your brain. And my favorite supplement of all is something I make called happy saffron. Happy saffron. I'm not, I wanted to say it with you so that we could be in sync to, um, because I knew you were going to talk about this. I have talked about it so much that Jack, my producer, who's who's listening on this podcast, bought Happy Saffron, even though he's never seen you, because I've that is magic. And I remember you telling me that you're like, everybody loves this. This is a thing. It really is a thing. It makes such a freaking difference. So I'm not being paid to say this. I highly, highly, highly recommend that supplement. You know, I've been following the science of saffron for about 20 years. And I'm always looking for natural ways to heal the brain. I'm not opposed to medicine and I'll prescribe it, but it's never the first thing I think about. And then I got really interested because there are 24 randomized controlled trials, Saffron against Prozac, Paxil, Lexapro, Effexor, Mipramine, Wellbutrin, equally effective, but without any side effects. And one of the big side effects of antidepressants is they can decrease your libido or decrease your ability to have an orgasm. And my patients don't like that. And I don't like it. <laughs> Saffron was pro-sexual and increased their sexual function. So I'm like, it boosts your mood. It helps you sexually function better. And then there's a group of studies on memory. And I'm like, okay, I'm taking this. So when my dad died and the pandemic started, I'm like, I'm taking happy saffron. And I, I just love it so much. And I'm Lebanese. That's my heritage. And in the Middle East, there's folklore that if you're too happy, you must have just had saffron. <laughs> And pound for pound, it's more expensive than gold, but as a supplement, it's affordable. And anybody that pre-orders the book will actually give them a bottle of Happy Saffron. Oh, cool. That's I awesome. Know. So if they go to youhappier.com, they can, um, we'll tell them how to get it and all of that. But supplementing your brain, I think everyone should be on a good supplement program. And, you know, doctors will say, oh, you don't need supplements if your diet is right. Well, it turns out 88% of the American population has a metabolic problem of one form or another. We don't have healthy diets. 
which is why America has 4% of the world's population, but 15% of the world's COVID deaths. And you have to go, what's that about? It's we're yeah. sick. As we're sick as a society, 72% of Americans are overweight, 72%. 42% of us are obese. So that's not a little overweight, it's a lot. And we know being overweight significantly increases the mortality risk from COVID. So we need, don't be skinny, that's not a good thing, but we need to really be thinking about what we put in our body and the government's not helping right i mean there was all the talk about vaccines and i'm vaccinated but there was no talk about getting healthy in fact with the lockdowns people drank more they ate more and the group it hit the biggest was kids in their early 20s their yeah. weight went up 46 percent, and it's like unbelievable the negative impact it had on young adults we can do better so supplement your brain love food that loves you back i think i had the most fun writing the fifth secret which is master your mind and gain psychological distance from the noise in your head and so you know, I often think in computer analogies, you got to get the hardware right. So that's the physical functioning of your brain. So when you're getting your hormones balanced, you're really working on the hardware. So the physically, the biology is right. Well, then you got to get the psychology right. And there's nowhere in school where they teach us how to master our minds. Nowhere. So think of the insanity of that. And so... In this part of the book, I teach you to kill the ants, the automatic negative thoughts that steal your happiness, all sorts of positive. Um, there is a term called positivity bias. Do you remember when I you came and I gave you the total brain? Yeah. And we talked about negativity bias. And so many people, when they're in a dark place, their brains just go into what's wrong. And so there's a whole section on positivity bias training. Now, I'm actually not a fan of positive thinking. Positive thinking means I can get drunk tonight and it won't impact me tomorrow. That's just a lie, <laughs> right? I want you to have appropriate yeah. anxiety. But positivity bias is, was there anything good that came out of the pandemic? So many things that were good. Like this was a historic opportunity to bond with our children, right? At the time it started, um, Chloe, our daughter was 16. We adopted our two nieces, 11 and 15, and they were like gone all the time. And now the pandemic comes and we had like two hour dinners, like every night for months, having all these great conversation. We cooked together, we did the dishes together. That hasn't happened in three generations because right. of these two parent working families. And so it's positivity bias training. We start every day with today is going to be a great day. So why is your day going to be great today to set it up? And when you go to bed at night, my favorite of all the techniques, I think this is my favorite. It's I say a prayer 
And then I go, what went well today? And I start at the beginning of the day looking at the little micro moments of happiness. So you're going to you're going to make it in that list tonight because I love seeing you and I love seeing you doing well. But when you go to bed at night and with the kids, when you put them to bed, go, what went well today? It'll set their dreams up to be more positive because they're focused on what's right. And right before you go to bed, what you think about is often what you dream about. And then my favorite of all the techniques is give your mind a name. So gain psychological distance from the noise in your head. You are not the chatter and you don't have to believe it. I want, so were you good at talking back when you were a teenager? No, 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 no. I was a very good girl. I would never talk back. (laughs) See, I was excellent at talking back. (laughs) But I never learned to talk back to myself. I mean, literally, I was 28 years old in my psychiatric residency when I'm in a class where one of the professors talked about, you don't have to believe every stupid thing you think. And I'm like, really? I mean, no one had ever taught me to evaluate the chatter in my head. And so I love this technique of give your mind a name. So what would you name your mind? Well, so we've actually done this a lot at conference. We don't describe it the same way, but I ask attendees to give a name to the negative self-talk and and to imagine what it, that person looks like. So mine is named Pam, and she is every older woman who ever asked to speak to the manager to complain. So she's loud, and she's obnoxious, and she's rude, and so... I definitely identify with that idea. I also think it's really powerful. I don't don't know if you mentioned this, but I ask my audience a lot to not just give it a name, not just give it a physical description, but to wonder whether or not that voice is male or female. Because I think oftentimes there's some association for us in the negative self-talk and maybe a parent or an older member of our family of that gender who that voice is coming through and it really helps to identify that piece. But you saying that line, you don't have to believe every stupid thing you think. We've we've talked about it on podcasts. I've shared that story from the stage, like when Dr. Amon told me this, that blows people's minds. Like you watch it in the room, you watch like 2000 people in a room and you just see their eyes go like, wait, wait, what? Because we really do tend to think if it's in our head, it must be true. And there is this incredible power in separating yourself from your thoughts. I feel like that's probably the biggest change for me in getting hormones balanced is like, I'll still have the thoughts, but I can separate myself from them. I'm like, oh, there's that thing that we think whenever this happens, that's totally untrue. And it's not the thoughts you have that make you suffer. It's the thoughts you attach to that make you suffer. Like I still have all sorts of crazy thoughts and I just, I'm good at dismissing them. And I named my mind after my pet raccoon when I was 16. So I actually had a pet raccoon and I loved her. Her name was Hermie because I didn't know she was a girl when I named her. (laughs) 
And she was a troublemaker. Um, she TP'd my mother's bathroom one day. Um, and that was a bad day because when my dad got home and he has the persistent brain type, nobody ever tells him what to do. And she said, Louie, that's my dad. It's either me or the raccoon. Now, my dad loved my mom way more than the raccoon, but because she challenged him and gave him an ultimatum, he said, don't let the door hit you in the backside. And so uh, not a good day for me. Oh, man. <laughs> and then a couple of weeks later, Hermie ate all of the fish out of my sister's aquarium. Another bad day. And periodically she'd leave raccoon poo in my shoes <laughs> and it's just like my mind, you know, it'll hold up signs like you're a failure or you're an idiot or you're not as good as someone else. And now, because I separate myself, because I'll metaphorically put her in her cage or what I used to do with her is I used to put her on her back and rub her tummy and she used to love that and she'd purr. And I'm like, oh, you need love but absolutely wouldn't believe the signs that she would hold up, especially like the rude things she wants me to say to Tana. I'm like, no, no, we're not saying that because secret number seven is live each day based on clearly defined values, purpose, and goals. Mm. And, and my goal with my wife is to have a kind, caring, loving, supportive, passionate relationship. That is always my goal. But I don't always feel like that. Hermie will hold up signs, you know, that are like critical. Oh, say something rude to her. And it's like, no, no, no. Won't get me my goal. You need to go in your cage. I love that piece of advice for people who have never figured out personal values or values around the different areas of their life. How do you suggest that they start? How, how do you even figure that out if you've never done it before? So – in the book, there is um, three big sections under the last secret. And the first one is, here's a list of values for your biology, for your psychology, for your relationships, and for your deepest sense of purpose. Pick two or three and see which ones fit for you. And then think of two or three really important people in your life. Like for me, it's my grandfather because I was named after him and he was my best friend. And then go, which, which of you these values fit? And then live with them for a while. Like at Amen Clinics, we have core values. And our core value uh, values are authenticity, science-based, outcome-driven, like I want people to get better, and ownership. I want everybody that works with me to feel like it's their place. And, and so every decision I make, it's like, well, does it fit my core values? And um, Miley Cyrus is one of my patients. She came out publicly. Uh, I've been her doctor for a long time. It's one of the most powerful exercises because if she gets anxious before a concert, well, one of her core values is I show up. So no matter what happens, she's going to perform. So knowing that I show up is a core value for her. Um, it just helps her make decisions and live her life. 
Mm, that's great. I love um, sort of condensing life into this is how I know that I'm living the kind of life that I want to live. Because often I think we're hurrying so fast and there's so much responsibility and things to do that we don't slow down and ask ourselves those questions. And I think if you don't slow down and ask sort of what kind of life you want to live and what kind of work you want to do and what the purpose is, you run the risk that you lose five years or 10 years and maybe you made a lot of money or maybe you did some things that impress other people. But to your point, there is no happiness in it because you're not aligned with what you truly want out of life. And I love, I love this conversation about what we think is going to make us happy versus what actually does. Because I thought for most of my early adult life that what would make me happy was success, was, you know, becoming an author, was having a podcast, was selling all the books, was doing the things. And I can tell you unequivocally, that is not where happiness is. Happiness is doing work that matters. Happiness is baking dinner for my kids later tonight. Happiness is having time to read in the middle of a weekday. Like it's it's much simpler than my younger self could have known. But I wouldn't if I hadn't like really tried to unpack what my values were, I would never know that. Well, and and along with that is I just love this exercise so much cuz I think it's one of the secrets to the success I've had is the one page miracle on one piece oh, of paper. Yes. Yes. I know we talked about this last time, but I actually agree with this because I've done it with you. Tell everybody about this exercise. Well, your brain is so powerful at making things happen. But if you don't tell it what you want, it'll make things happen that you don't want. And, you know, it'll get thrown around by the tech companies' desires for your money. And so on one piece of paper, write down what do you want in your relationships. And I start there purposefully because connections make people happy. And disconnections make people crazy. Um, You know, it's very common to read about a murder-suicide in the paper. But the things that make people the unhappiest is when they get unplugged to people they care about. And so what do you want in your relationships with your spouse or your partner, with your children, with your extended family, with your friends? What do you want? What do you want at work? Because that's important. What do you want with your money? And then you start making much better decisions with your money when you know what you want. What do you want for your physical health, your emotional health, and your spiritual health, which most psychiatrists would never touch. But I just think it's central to happiness, to have a sense of why you're on the planet, what is your deepest sense of purpose. And then when you write it, and I don't want you to write a lot, because I want you to be able to look at it every day. And then the question, each of these seven secrets have questions. The question is, does it fit? Does my behavior fit the goals I have for my life? So does it fit with my wife, with my children, with um, work? Because too many people like me 
without balance, get burned out, get divorced, uh, and become really unhappy because I'm driven, right? I mean, I have a big work goal. I want to change how psychiatric medicine is practiced end mental illness and create a revolution in brain health. So I could spend all of my time doing that, but then end up disconnected either from my loved ones or my health and end up pretty unhappy. But I think this balance is crucial um, if you want to be in the race for a long time. And as someone who has gone through periods in my career where the success was massive and, you know, all this opportunity and all this revenue and all of these things. And it is the most unhappy I've ever been in my life. Just miserable. Health was horrible and no balance. And again, it was that disconnection from the values that I actually have. But until you're inside of it, I I feel like sometimes we learn the best lessons when we go through the really hard thing, right? So you discover that that thing you thought was going to make you happy definitely doesn't. Well, I suppose that's why they call it growing pains. There you go. <laughs> and it's progress, right? I mean, that goes with happiness is I'm moving this thing along. One of the exercises in the book is write down 20 of the happiest moments of your life. And when you get sad, you can consciously get happy. And there's another exercise I like. So take those 20 moments and peg them to certain places in your house. So for example, when I get to the front door, I peg getting married to Tana and I'm holding her and I almost trip at the front door. And it reminds me of when we were doing our practice for the dance, the wedding dance the night before. I dipped her and tripped and almost dropped her. And it was hysterical, right? Nobody got hurt. But it was just this really fun, intimate moment. And every time I go to the front door, I think about that. Or when I go to the kitchen, I see my grandfather uh, at the stove. He was a candy maker. I mean, that was his job. And wow. it was, in, and we're making chocolate. But BrainMD, my company, makes brain-healthy chocolate. We're making it in a healthy way. But it's still that very deep connection of love for me. And, you know, I have these just strewn around the house of these great memories. And that way it helps me manage my mind. Because if you do something big that's you know, different than other people, you're going to get your share of critics. And I know both of us have had them. And you really, you have to strengthen yourself against them. And mental discipline is just a critical part of that process. Well, I love to something that I thought of when you were saying that, because I also have, um, I don't have areas in my house, but I have things in my house that are, so on my stovetop, always is my grandfather's, um, I use it as a tea kettle, but it was what he made coffee in every single day. It's this glass pot. My kids know, everybody knows that that is sacred to me because I was very close to my grandparents. And it was a conscious choice when, 
like after they died, after my brother died, after my brother-in-law died, it's a very conscious choice to start to focus on and look for the love and the good memories instead of focusing on the fact that they're gone. And I think that having, like, I love that you have places in your house. I have pictures everywhere and I have clothes that I wear and different things that remind me of the good memories of things that I've lost. And that's a choice, right? So like when you go through something hard, you could see that as evidence that life is hard and sad. Or like you said, it's like, well, what went well here or what was good in this? And that's something that we have to decide to do. It doesn't just happen if you've gone through something, some really heavy grief. Well, when you go through the kind of trauma you went through, it resets your nervous system so that you're always looking for trouble because it protects right. you initially, yeah. but then it damages you. And so what went well today? Or my favorite movie for the kids is Pollyanna. And the term Pollyannish is a negative term. But I hate that because if you really want to be happy, play the glad game, and which is she right. talks about in the movie, which is no matter what happens, what is there to be glad about in this yeah. situation? And, you know, when my dad died, there was nothing to be glad about. But I remember when I went to bed that night, I went, what went well today? And Hermie, uh, you know, just like she had fit. Because it's like you're a bad son. How could you talk about what went well today? But it's my habit. And so my mind just went to an interaction between my mother and the police officer. I do a program for first responders. And I'd been working with the Newport Beach Police Department. So I knew the officer who showed up at my parents' house. And um, they just had this very funny, tender moment. And I thought about that. And then I thought about all the texts I got from my friends and my dad's friends. And then I thought about holding his hand, which was so soft, before they took him away. And then I went to sleep. So it doesn't diminish the sadness and the grief, but it really helps me manage it so that I don't have to rely on alcohol or I don't have to rely on marijuana, or I don't have to rely on being angry and irritable. A lot of people, that's a bad habit for them. And um, it, it just helps. You manage this, thus you're happier. I'd love to ask your opinion, you know, because I obviously am a mom, and I have so many of my listeners who are parents as well. You know, in working on this in ourselves, that's so important. And I think setting an example is the most important piece. But how do we help our kids? I mean, you gave us some ideas about before we go to bed and what went well today. But are there different approaches that we have for happiness and brain health for a child or a teenager than for an adult? Well, the most important thing you can do for your children is model health because children are like violins. And they play the stress of their parents. And especially women too often do things for everyone else and not themselves. And they put themselves last and they don't get the help that they need. Um, and so I think modeling is critical. 
And then there's an exercise I love called special time. For each child, spend 20 minutes a day just doing something they want to do. And during that time, no commands, no questions, no directions. And then I wrote a kid's book called Captain Snout and the Superpower yeah. Questions. We have read that many times at bedtime here. Teaching kids not to believe every stupid thing they think is just essential. It's critical. Um, and then teaching them simple things. But again, it's modeling like diaphragmatic breathing when we're anxious or coming up with strategies when we're angry. You know, so what are 10 things I can do when I get angry so I don't have to torture other people? That's great and really helpful. I got a kid that that would be very helpful for right now. So I appreciate the idea. So what is what is your biggest hope for this new work? I mean, I feel like you've done so much inside of this conversation. I mean, you've deeply affected my life and I know so many others. What's the hope with this, with the new book? That it's a way out. That America, really around the world, people are just the unhappiest they have been. Depression tripled from February of 2020 to August of 2020. And it's not getting better. Um, but, you know, it's, it's on this mission to go, okay, let's stop calling these things mental illness. No, and nobody wants to see a psychiatrist because nobody wants the diagnosis. Let's call these things what they are, brain health issues that steal people's minds. And, you know, the way out is up. It's falling in love with your brain, with your mind, with your relationships, and living each day with purpose. So it's, it's super simple. Um, and in my mind, when you do the right thing, it's never because you should. It's because you love yourself. You love your mission. You love the people in your life. All right, Dr. Amen, tell everyone where can they find the book? Where can they follow you online? Just give us all the details about all the things. So I have 10 clinics around the country. We have a brand new clinic just opened up in Hollywood, Florida. Uh, so you can learn about our clinical work at amenclinics.com. So amen, like the last word in the prayer, clinics.com. You can order pre-order our um, book. Um, got delayed a little bit. It's come out March 22nd. And if you go to youhappier.com, we actually have four free gifts and they're so cool. I'm so excited about it. So if you pre-order the book and give us your receipt, we'll ship you a bottle of happy saffron. Uh, that's It's like gold, you guys. <laughs> it's gold, seriously. Um, we'll give you access to our 30-day happiness challenge. So 30 short videos once a day, lots of exercises, increases happiness 30% for people who finish it. It's pretty cool. And Tana has a new You Happier cookbook. Uh, and then there's a workbook for the challenge. So lots of great things. Uh, and then they can follow me on TikTok. For some reason, TikTok loves me. And I figured out how to be successful on TikTok. 
It's like write down three of 300 of the most important things you've ever said and say them in 30 seconds. And so Doc Amen, D-O-C-A-M-E-N, Instagram, Doc underscore Amen. Um, yeah, just love educating people, love the comments. And the goal is to create a brain health revolution. And I would say as someone who has gotten to work with you, but also follows you on social media, every time your videos or um, things of yours come up in my feed, it always makes me think. It always makes me slow down. It always makes me go like, oh, right. Okay. Yes, I remember. So I do think other people you follow, just sort of see what's going on in their life, but you truly are constantly educating and, and giving information out. So I highly suggest everyone follow you and grab the new book. Thank you so much as always for your time and your wisdom. I am deeply appreciative of it. And I know the audiences as well. Thank you, Rachel. What a joy to see you. The Rachel Hollis podcast is produced by me, Rachel Hollis. It's edited by Andrew Weller and Jack Noble.